All right, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Luke chapter 19. I know a lot of this will be on the PowerPoint, but, you know, got, got a copy right here if you want to follow along, Luke chapter 19. I don't mean to sound like a broken record each week, but I want to remind you at the beginning of the sermon what we've been studying. I know it's been a week. Some of you might have forgotten. You know, I understand that. Weeks are long sometimes. Or maybe... Maybe you haven't been with us in a while, this may be your first Sunday. So let me remind you what we've been studying. We've been studying through the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the travel narrative, or the, the middle section of the Gospel of Luke. It started way back at the beginning of January. We started this series in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, where it says Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem, or Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. And he doesn't arrive in Jerusalem until chapter 19, which is where we're at today. We're not going to look at the actual arrival, the triumphal entry. We're going to look at Jesus' last stop, which happens to be in Jericho. And I also want to remind you that uh, what has been guiding this sermon series as we look at this middle section are texts, scriptures, stories, parables, teachings that are unique to Luke's gospel only. So the things that you're only going to find in the Gospel of Luke, you won't find in Matthew, Mark, or John. Okay, That's how I've chosen what to preach on each week. And Zacchaeus is the story we're looking at today. You heard that in the Scripture reading earlier. Zacchaeus is unique to Luke. You only find this story in the Gospel of Luke. And when you think of Zacchaeus, what comes to mind? Anybody? I heard a sneeze, and then I heard a, a, a wee little man. Okay, yeah, you think of Zacchaeus, maybe some things come to mind. Uh, I think of something like this, like a picture that, that looks like something you would show in, in children's church or a Bible class or VBS. When we think of Zacchaeus, we think of a story that's for kids. And most of the time, that's where you hear the story. And yes, the wee little man, uh, there is a, a nice little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You know it? He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. I'm not going to keep going with that. I'm not a song leader. And also, I don't want that to get stuck in your head for the rest of the sermon. That song has been stuck in my head all week. Even my kids have been singing it. But when I think of Zacchaeus, okay, that comes to mind. For kids, right? What we teach kids. But the story of Zacchaeus is a powerful, it's a story of a powerful encounter with Jesus. This life-changing, life-transforming for Zacchaeus. So it's not just for little kids. This story is for anybody who wants to take following Jesus serious. And we see that there's some larger themes in the Gospel of Luke that we've kind of hit on and looked at throughout this sermon series that you see in these ten verses with Zacchaeus. One of those is Jesus and his relationship with the wealthy. No secret. No surprise, Jesus is hard on those who are wealthy. He is harsh with the wealthy. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says something like, Woe to those who are rich, but blessed are the poor. In other times, like in Luke 16, he says, You cannot serve both God and money. And Luke tells us the Pharisees loved money. Three different parables in the Gospel of Luke start with, There was a certain rich man. And none of those parables turned out very well for the rich men. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, something that uh, we didn't look at in the sermon series, but you have the rich young ruler, the very rich guy comes up to Jesus, wants to follow him. What does Jesus say to him? You've got to sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Then come follow me. So this tension has been building between Jesus and the wealthy. 
And we meet Zacchaeus, who also, we're going to read this in just a second, he was very wealthy, he was very rich. But Zacchaeus becomes a positive example of how to follow Jesus while also being wealthy. So a couple years ago when COVID first started and everything was shutting down and many people weren't able to work and there was a financial problem, the government gave us money. Most of us received a stimulus check. I was reading this story a couple years ago in April 2020. I printed it off and saved it. There was a guy named Charles Calvin who was notified that his stimulus check had been deposited into his bank account. Well, he needed to pay $800 in rent. So he went to a local Family Express gas station to use their ATM, and they had a limit of $200 a time. So he was going to do four different withdrawals and get his $800 pay his rent. You know, he's excited he got his stimulus money. He does his first withdrawal, gets the $200, and then it shows you your account balance, and this is what his account balance said. $8.2 million. Which at first he was like, that is a great stimulus check. I love that. But then he thought quickly, that is no way. There's no way this is accurate. This is not my bank account. So he did his second withdrawal. The receipt comes out, same thing, $8.2 million. So he's thinking something funny is going on here, but also kind of exciting. I hope I do have $8.2 million. So he went up to the worker at the gas station and he said, is anybody having problems with this ATM machine? And she said, no, why? And he showed her the receipt and she said, oh, are you a millionaire? And he said, ma'am, do you think if I were a millionaire that I would be at a Family Express gas station taking out $200 at a time to pay rent? So he took that receipt, he called a friend of his that was a police officer, explained the situation, and his friend said, do not spend the money. <laughs> There's something funny is going on here, but I doubt the government gave you that much. Something, so they did some investigation and research. Turns out ATM machine was malfunctioning that day, uh, and so they kind of fixed it for him, and they gave him his account balance, which said $13.79. And he said, that sounds more like my account. So I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but when I read that story a couple years ago, I printed it off, and as I was studying Zacchaeus today, I thought, all right, Zacchaeus has some similarities to this story. He goes to this crowd to try to see Jesus, and what he does is he walks away with way more than he could have ever imagined, just like Charles Calvin going to the ATM, walks away with way more than he ever could have anticipated. But then after that, Zacchaeus is going to wind up poorer than he's ever been in his life, kind of like Charles Calvin after the excitement of $8.2 million, then he turns around and only has $13 left. Zacchaeus is similar to that. And we'll look at that here in just a minute. But we see that there's a relationship between Jesus and the wealthy, and with the tensions rising in Luke, Zacchaeus becomes a positive example. He balances the rich young ruler who just walks away from Jesus. So that's one of the themes that Zacchaeus fits into this larger theme, and the other one is just Jesus and the outsiders. This is what we've titled the sermon series. Jesus has a love and a heart for those who are outcast, outsiders, overlooked, poor, marginalized, hurting. Luke really shows us Jesus' heart for them. And we see this reversal theme that I've mentioned almost every week. And we see this reversal theme again here today where outsiders become insiders. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 10. We'll go through some of it quickly. I'll point out a few things along the way, but you can keep these larger themes in mind. Let's start in verse 1. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through it. Short little descriptive verse, but we need to remember that this is his last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. 
He's on his way to his own death. And he has been for a while, but this is the last stop. There's a crowd that's going to meet him outside of the village and they're going to escort him in as they would any important guest. But we're told in verse 2, a man was there named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He's a chief tax collector, which means that he had other tax collectors that worked under him. So not only did he get rich off of other people, but he got rich off of the tax collectors that work under him. He is a wealthy man, but he's an outsider. Man, it seems like over and over in this sermon series, we've run into tax collectors. We even looked last week at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So I've, I've mentioned why tax collectors were hated. They worked for the Roman government. They were viewed as traitors to their nation. They were free to collect as much as they wanted. As long as Rome got their money, they could you know, charge that sucker way up there and get rich off of you. So people hated tax collectors because of that, especially Zacchaeus, who was in charge of all the other tax collectors. Very wealthy man. In verse 3 it says, He was trying to see Jesus, see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. Now what we usually latch on to, oh, he's short. Well, let me just pause for a moment and ask you this question, because this question came to my mind. I wonder why Zacchaeus was so interested in seeing Jesus. Why was he so curious to see Jesus? Maybe it was because he had heard that Jesus was a miracle worker and he was hoping that if he could just be there in the crowd that day, he'd get to see a miracle and then go tell all of his tax collector friends about it. But I think more than likely, this is my opinion, the reason that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus is because he had heard that Jesus, he had heard this reputation that Jesus had of being a friend to people like him. Jesus had a reputation of being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And that, I believe, is what was drawing Zacchaeus in. I believe that Jesus' reputation served as an invitation because somebody like Zacchaeus heard about the type of people that Jesus was sharing the table with. He was like, well, maybe I can be welcomed in his presence. And that, I think, I think, says something to us as a church that our reputation, if we have a reputation of being welcoming and loving to, to anybody that's outside, that serves as an invitation for them to feel welcome coming here. And they should feel welcome. And we have a role to play in that. But the crowd that day, they did not welcome Zacchaeus. It's not just because he was short and late to the party. In the Middle East, anybody who was wealthy and distinguished, they would have parted ways in the crowd and let this wealthy man go to the front of the line. But not Zacchaeus. Why? They hate him. He's a tax collector. So he has this option in verse 4. It says that he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. It's hard to not to read this verse and really think of that song. It climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what, you know. Okay, anyways, so he runs in the first century. Distinguished men, important men, just men in general, they don't run in public. We've often talked about that, the parable of the lost son. The father, when he sees the son coming down the road, he takes off running and commentators will point out, that was very uncommon. It's very uncommon for somebody like Zacchaeus to take off running in public and let alone climb a tree. How often do you see wealthy people at a big social event running around climbing trees? It's not common. So why does Zacchaeus do that? Well, you may say, well, he just wants to see him. He's short. If he got up in the tree, he'll get a chance to see Jesus. True. Get a better vantage point. 
But it could also be that he's attempting to hide. He knows the crowd does not accept him. He knows that people in Jericho hate him. He knows he is an outsider, but he still wants to see Jesus. So maybe his plan is if he runs ahead, gets ahead of the crowd, can climb up this tree, which supposedly these sycamore trees, the limbs were low enough that you could climb them, but the foliage, the leaves were thick enough that you could hide. Maybe he's thinking if he just got up in that tree, nobody's going to see him, but he would still get a chance to see Jesus. But his plan doesn't work out so well. In verse 5 it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So one way of looking at this is just think, wait a minute, Jesus knows his name. How does Jesus know his name? Maybe it's because he has supernatural powers and he knows people's hearts. That could be it. But Jesus didn't abuse his powers very often. And as far as we know, Zacchaeus is a complete stranger to Jesus. But he says his name, hey, Zacchaeus. There's a guy named Daniel Carnegie that I, I came across this when I was studying this week, and he said a person's name is to that person the sweetest, most important sound in any language. Would you agree with that? I don't know. Think about your own heart. Sometimes when people say your name and they know you by name, it means something. It warms your heart, especially if it's somebody that you look up to that you didn't know that they knew your name. You know, that can mean something. And that's probably what's happening with Zacchaeus here. However, back to the question, how does he know his name? Is it because of the crowd? I've mentioned time and time again, there's a guy named Kenneth Bailey who wrote uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, a book that I've read for the sermon series, and it's been a really helpful source. I know some of you have bought the book. Carrie, you mentioned, right? You've been listening to it. I had some people from back home that listened to the sermons. They said they've been reading the book. So I'm going to give Kenneth Bailey full credit for this thought. But in his opinion, after spending 40 years in the Middle East, he said, probably what's happening, Zacchaeus is hiding in that tree, and if Jesus can see him, that means the crowd can see him. So his plan of hiding didn't work out very well for him. And probably what's the case is that the crowd is ridiculing Zacchaeus. Jesus knows his name because he can hear the rest of the crowd saying his name. They're humiliating him, embarrassing him, taunting him. He can't pay them back individually because it's just a big crowd and he can't see who's saying what. But you can imagine how ashamed and embarrassed Zacchaeus would be caught up in that tree. Jesus goes ahead, he names it, hey Zacchaeus, we all see you. But he said, come on down, I want to stay at your house today. Jesus is beginning to shift the negative attention off of Zacchaeus and onto himself. Verse 6 and 7, he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Of course he would do that. Because a tax collector like Zacchaeus, who is hated, probably has never had a rabbi come eat with him his whole life. And verse 7 says, All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. All right, if you're following Luke, if you're tracking with Luke, we see another theme emerge here. Often Jesus will share the table, table fellowship with all the wrong people, with the outsiders. I mentioned in numerous sermons that to sit down and eat with somebody in the first century means that you accept that person and you identify with them. So the fact that Jesus keeps eating with 
sinners, tax collectors, people that fall into that category, it makes people mad, especially the Pharisees. And here, it's the people of the town of Jericho. They're outside grumbling. I, I don't know, what, what does grumbling sound like to you? Everybody make your best grumbling noise on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, that was a good grumble. Okay, well now I can think of that when I think of grumbling. So they're outside grumbling. They're upset with Jesus, but look at what Jesus has done. He has taken on the hostility, the hostility of that crowd that was focused on Zacchaeus. They're celebrating Jesus coming through, making fun of, embarrassing, ridiculing, humiliating Zacchaeus. Well, now it's shifted. Well, now the town is looking at Jesus, and they're, that noise you just made, they're doing that towards Jesus, and the attention is now off of Zacchaeus. I was at a church retreat, church camp retreat many years ago. And I remember it was the middle of the afternoon in the summer. We were all playing games, softball, dodgeball, all kinds of stuff in the middle of this field. Hundreds of students and, and volunteers. And we had two pavilions, one on the right and one on the left. And all of a sudden a storm came through and it started pouring down rain. So everybody in the camp split ways and one went to one pavilion, one went to the other covered pavilion. And right in the middle was the ball field. And I mean, it was flooding. It was pouring down rain. Well, there was this one kid at the camp who was a little different. He didn't have any close friends. He might be considered an outsider, kind of a loner. And when everybody took cover because of the rain, he just stayed out there in the rain. And he sat down Indian style in this field, and he had no idea that the attention of everybody from that camp was focused right on him. And pretty quickly, what you started to hear were people laughing at him. People saying, what is he doing sitting out in the rain? I mean, he's getting soaking wet. They're like kind of making fun of him and things like that. And before I got a chance to even get on to anybody about it, I saw this lady who had been volunteered her time that week to come be a staff member. And she walked out there getting soaking wet herself. She walked out to this young man, and she just sat down in the field Indian style with him. And then the rain just kept coming, and she just sat out there with him. And guess what happened with everybody from the camp? They started saying, what is she doing? What a weirdo. And they're looking at her, and I realized what she had done. She had taken all the attention off of that kid, all the negative attention, and she absorbed it herself. I saw Jesus in her that day in that action. And I think that's what Jesus is doing for Zacchaeus here is all this negative attention from the town that's on him as Jesus has shifted it. He's turned it around and he's taken it on himself now. And so Zacchaeus has an amazing response in verse 8. He stood there and he said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. That's a pretty strong reaction to this powerful encounter with Jesus. He's repenting. I don't know what you think of when you think of repenting, but it's not just, he's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. He's repenting by making amends. He's going to make things right with the people that he has cheated. He's going to repay him four times the amount. It doesn't seem like we're not told that Jesus asks him to do that. That's just his response with this powerful encounter. And then... He feels compelled to give half of his possessions to the poor. So that's his repentance. That's a pretty big deal. That's a big life change right there. In fact, we were told earlier he's a very wealthy man. Well, if he really follows through with what he's promising here, he's no longer going to be quite as wealthy. 
In fact, this could put him out of business. But what does it matter to Zacchaeus? Because he has found something much more valuable. You could say that he has met Jesus, or maybe a more accurate way of saying it is that Jesus met him. Jesus made an appointment with him. Jesus sought him out. In the summer of 2007, I did my one and only youth internship. Maybe you've heard me tell a story before about how I was invited to do this, and I said yes, and my life changed forever. Well, I had this moment during that summer. I was getting a chance to teach and preach and lead in in ways that I never had been before. And I was also staying with a good friend of mine and his mom. They were my host family for the summer. And my friend, he worked at a hotel, so he would often work night shifts. So some nights, I was just at his house by myself. And I didn't want to hang out with his mom, who was probably asleep in the living room watching Wings or something like that, snoring a little bit. So I went back in, in his room to hang out by myself. And I was working on a lesson that I was going to teach the next night, working on upcoming sermons, spending some time praying, things like that. And I just remember feeling overwhelmed like with happiness and joy at how the summer was going. And I knew I could feel something special and unique was happening. And like never before in my life, I had this feeling, this intense feeling of conviction from Jesus in my heart. And by myself, in my friend's room on a Tuesday night that summer, I prayed and my response was to Jesus, I will commit the rest of my life to you. I will commit the rest of my life of service to you. I'm all in. Now, maybe that sounds strange to you. I've never really shared that with anybody because it was kind of a private moment. And I don't know how else to explain it other than In a very intense way, Jesus captured my heart. I had already been baptized. I had been a Christian and a believer for a long time. But something was different in that moment. It had been building for a while, but that night, something different happened. And there was a significant change in my life. And when I'm reading the story of Zacchaeus, I'm thinking, all right, he's having this powerful encounter with Jesus. And his response is, I'm all in. He's never going to be the same again. You meet two tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke. We meet several tax collectors, but two of the most prominent ones are Levi, who we meet in chapter 5. Levi is a tax collector. Jesus comes up to him and he says, follow me. Those two very powerful words, that invitation. Levi leaves his tax booth behind and he goes to follow Jesus. Quits his job and he's going to follow Jesus on this road into the unknown territory. Well, now you meet this other tax collector, Zacchaeus, and his response is a little different. Both respond in dramatic ways, but Zacchaeus, we're not told that he stops being a tax collector. He's just going to be a more honest tax collector. And for Zacchaeus, we're not told that he's going to leave and go follow Jesus on the road. He's going to stay right where he is in Jericho, and he's going to live in a radically different way. And I like looking at the comparison of Zacchaeus and Levi because for some of you, if you've had a powerful encounter with Jesus, it might mean that God's calling you to be a missionary and go live in some foreign country. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe you're more like Zacchaeus where you've had this powerful encounter with Jesus. And what God is calling you to do is stay right where you are. But you just live in a radically new way. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus, This dinner table, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. 
Zacchaeus is in the process of experiencing salvation, something that he's going to have to work out for the rest of his life. But Jesus is embracing him. While, while salvation is happening inside, you have the town, people from the town that are outside grumbling. Transformation inside, just complaining and grumbling outside. But to take it a step further, Jesus says, you too have become a son of Abraham. He's not an outsider. He's actually an insider. He's saying, you also belong to this family. Something that Jesus keeps doing for people over and over. And then to conclude this section in verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. That's, I've heard many people over the years that are going on mission trips or wanting to develop some kind of mission statement for your church quote Luke 19.10. In fact, I think Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is the most quoted passage, but then Luke 19.10 is right behind it. That's our mission. Seek and save the lost. There's no doubt that what Luke wants us to think of are those three lost and found parables that he tells in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And Jesus' encounter here with Zacchaeus, this is a living example of what those parables look like. And in making this statement, Jesus gives us a mission as well. You know, last fall, last winter, we looked at our seven commitments as a church. And so I want to remind you right now that our seventh commitment, commitment number seven in the abbreviated version says, we will be mission-minded for the lost of the world. And when we looked at Luke 15 in these three parables, I define lost is somebody who is far from God. I see Doc back here. When Doc and Rodney did the Four Fields disciple-making training, they, it challenged us to think of people in your life that are far from God. And so when we talked about what Jesus means by lost, that's a pretty good definition. Somebody who is far from God. And we as a church are committed to being mission-minded for the lost, for those who are far from God, whether it's cross-culturally or right here in our own community. So how do we do that? How do we live out this mission? Well, we can take some cues from Jesus, some lessons from Jesus. Right here in this interaction, in the whole Gospel of Luke, for one, He keeps reaching out to outsiders. If we want to be mission-minded and on mission and seek and save the lost, we've got to notice people. Jesus sees them. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus sees others. He saw the woman who was washing His feet and wiping His feet with her tears and her hair in Luke 7. And he leans over to the Pharisee and he said, do you see this woman? Well, Jesus saw her. He sees the outsiders and he initiates the relationship, just like he does with Zacchaeus here. I mean, I know Zacchaeus took some steps towards Jesus, but Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He invites himself over. And he's willing to defend Zacchaeus and he's willing to defend outsiders all throughout the gospel. How do we become mission-minded? Well, maybe take some lessons from Jesus. How do we implement this in our own lives and social interactions? Who do you see? Who do you notice? Who do you not notice? Are you willing to initiate relationships? Are you willing to defend and be an advocate for those who are often overlooked and ignored? That's a lesson we can learn from Jesus about mission and a lesson we learn from Zacchaeus. His whole life, he's a crook. He's doing things that most people don't like. He's earned a bad reputation for himself. But the one thing that he does do right here is he places himself in the path of Jesus. He places himself in a position where he and Jesus are going to cross paths, where they're going to intersect. 
He does that right. Jesus does the rest of the work. He invites himself over, and out of this overwhelming love and grace that Zacchaeus has received, then Zacchaeus responds with a repentance. But the main thing that he does is he placed himself in the path of Jesus. And that's going to serve as our invitation today. We're about to sing another invitation song, but maybe we could take a cue from Zacchaeus. If you've gotten off that path, or you need to be on that path, take a step. Place yourself in the path of Jesus. And I promise you, God will do the rest of the work. He will capture your heart. You will experience this powerful encounter with Christ. We saw in our first service earlier today with Kiyomi, who was put it, you know, she had already been thinking about this for a while, placing her path, herself in the path of Jesus, and then came here today to make this decision to be baptized into Christ. But it may be that you need prayers. It may be a number of things. If you need to place yourself in the path of Jesus today, if we can help you, you can come up front, find a, a, one of our shepherds and talk privately, and we'll pray for you. Please respond now if you need to. Let's stand up. Let's keep singing.